Hello, everybody. This is Steve, and this is This Good Word, episode 13. The word we're looking at today is light. I want to talk about the generative, expansive light of day one of creation, all the way back in the Genesis 1 poem, how that light swirled and danced and illuminated every dark corner of the expanding universe. I want to talk about the nature of that light, what it fills and where it goes, and how it's still going and filling and illuminating even today. I want to tell some stories about why I think that light is still greater than darkness, even as we sift through the rubble of a terrorist attack in Paris and as we navigate the volatile climate of the refugee crisis. I want to talk about the light of day one. This is week two in my series on my book, Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, which is published through NavPress. It's going to release on January 1st. I'm so excited about that. And so every week for the next few weeks here, I'm going to talk about one of the chapters. And um, the book is based on the seven days of creation, how they're not just an event which happened many years ago, but they are the process of how God's generative life keeps on being created in this dark world, making it beautiful and brilliant and new. How new beginnings can break out of disastrous endings is the premise of my book. And um, so you can pre-order it on uh, anywhere that you order books. You can get the link on my show notes, steveweens.com. And uh, I hope you do. I hope you pre-order it or order it when it comes out. Uh, it is something I want to share with you. But first, before we get into light, some shout-outs. We get some new listeners in the tiny little country of Luxembourg, neighboring Belgium, uh, Turkey, and also the People's Republic of Utah. <laughs> We're still waiting for Wyoming. We have all the other states uh, that have listened. Wyoming is still holding out, and we respect them for that. I want to give some shout-outs to some people that are reading the advanced reader copies of my book and posting on Instagram and stuff. Thank you guys so much for your help. Aaron Lane from North Carolina. Matt Bays from Indiana. Heather Hammond right here in Minneapolis. Sarah Siders. Oh, my gosh, Sarah, where do you live? Is it Tennessee? Uh, now I can't even remember off the, off the top of my head. Dan Bennett, who took some great pictures and is helping with the new website. Thank you very much. And my friend, Nate Pyle. So thank you, my friends. You are being very generous with your time and with your social media presence. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I mentioned the show notes. Show notes are a little, they're a blog post that's posted on steveweens.com, my site, and it's going to give the excerpt that I'll read from my chapter. It'll provide ways for you to read the first two chapters of my book for free. You can download them and also ways to pre-order the book. And any other things that I feel like are would be helpful for you to look at will be on the show notes for episode 13 of This Good Word at steveweens.com. Check it out. All right, let's dive in to This Good Word today, Light. So I want to ask the question, what do we do in response to such really terrifying darkness that we keep seeing that seems to be increasing? We, uh, I was on a vacation with my wife last week. We were in Northern California enjoying life, enjoying wine in wine country, Sonoma, Napa. And I 
pulled up Instagram and I noticed that all of a sudden everyone was sharing this picture of the Eiffel Tower as a peace sign. And I went, oh my goodness, what happened? And so I caught up on the news and read all about the terrorist attacks that happened last week. Uh, And I was immediately, uh, like you were, terrified and frightened at the fragility of our world, that it seems as though darkness is winning. And when you talk about ISIS and when you talk about the devastation that's happening around the world with the refugees from Syria and other places, uh, it is just overwhelming and we don't know what to do with it. So what do we do in response to such darkness? One of the things I know how to do is to share stories of people who are being light in their ordinary, everyday lives. I have a friend named Lynn Hybels, who is currently in Iraq, and you can follow her on Instagram at Lynn Hybels. You can see the pictures of the friends that she's making. She's been involved in peacemaking for many years now, primarily in the Middle East. She's also helped uh, with the refugee crisis in Syria and in Africa. Uh, and she, is, she went to Iraq with some friends to listen to people's stories and to make peace through erasing the lines in the sand that are so easy to draw. I'm on this side, you're on that side. When isolation makes this possible because you live thousands of miles away and I live safely over here, We can tend to categorize people and events as good and bad and them and us. And Lynn is helping us to see that life is much more complex, much more nuanced than that. And there's really beautiful and good things happening in some of the darkest places of the world. So she is spending her time in Iraq right now. Thank you, Lynn Hybels, for showing us a world that doesn't have to live on the extremes of hate and violence and evil. You are shining brightly. Thank you, Lynn. But I encourage you to follow her. LynnHeibels.com is where her blog is. She's written some books. And if you're new to the peacemaking conversation, then check her out. She is um, a bright light in this world. Thank you, Lynn. Also, my friend Dee here locally, she's a pastor. She's one of my friends. She works at a suburban church. And um, in, right here in Minneapolis, there's been a shooting recently. Um, and another one of our black brothers has been shot. And it's a very tense situation, uh, obviously, all around the world right now. Here in Minneapolis, there's protesters. And if you follow social media at all, like I do and many of you do, you read, uh, you read the extremes. And what my friend Dee is trying to do is she is trying to sit in the chaos and be pro-police, pro-victim, and be with the especially young uh, people of color who are losing hope. What happens when you lose hope is that's when you fall prey to violence. When there's the lack of hope, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, and and it seems like the shortest possible route to hope is retaliation through violence. And my friend D is trying to show and be a different way by standing with by 
shivering outside on a cold night with those protesters and shining a different kind of light other than violence. And it is breathtaking to me. It's beautiful. It's hopeful. It's light. Thank you. I have some other friends that are working for peace in the world. I have a friend named Jer Swigert who lives in Portland, and he started an organization that is dedicated to uh, making peace in the world. I will put the, the link to that organization on my show notes. He travels all, all around the world, primarily in the Middle East. He travels all around the country to help churches uh, become aware of the issues and how we can be pro-Israeli, pro-Palestinian, pro-America, pro-Jesus, and pro-world. It's pretty amazing. And that, my friends, is light. It's light when you refuse to get swept up in the negativity of the extremes. We ne- on the extremes, we never find life. Now, I think Jesus himself was an extreme, but he always occupied a third way through conflict. He never um, resorted to violence. He, he didn't resort to religion. What he did was occupy that third way space with the people who were oppressed, but he also was with the oppressors, not in the sense of I am for you, but in the sense of I will speak to you and I will reveal to you what is broken in the system and I will create a new system, one of peace, one of light, one of new realities and new beginnings. That's what the life of Jesus shows us how to do in the world. If you read the Gospels, if you are a Bible kind of person, but especially if you aren't, read the Bibles through read the Bible and especially the Gospels through the lens of this person named Jesus, a man from Nazareth, who is trying to create a different system in the middle of corruption and greed where people and minorities are being oppressed, Jesus is trying to bring healing and light and a new way of living. That's what he's trying to do. And in the church world where I live, I'm a pastor, uh, this Sunday is the final week of of the church liturgical calendar year, and it's always referred to as Christ the King. Now, the reason why it's referred to as Christ the King as the calendar year ends is it's reminding us that Jesus is the one who is, who was, and who will be. And any kind of reform, any kind of hope of reconciliation and new beginnings without the generative, redemptive work of the Christ is ultimately doomed to failure. That's why I just firmly, that's why I'm so big on this good word, bringing out our humanity, uh, bringing out our holiness in what's human, is because Jesus himself is the picture of God, fully human, but also fully divine, coming to show us what a new reality looks like and coming to give us the power in order to step into a new kind of life and a new kind of light 
one that doesn't have to be uh, afraid of darkness. Because ultimately, as Paula D'Arcy says, even darkness is held by light. So let's talk about how we can exist, how we can resist the extremes, joining Jesus in the middle of the chaos, creating new light. And let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is how the whole story starts. And how a story starts is really important in terms of telling a story about what will happen throughout the story. I'm going to read this from the message. First this, God created the heavens and earth, all you see, all you don't see. Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss, and God spoke, light, and light appeared. God saw that the light was good and separated light from dark. God named the light day. He named the dark night. It was evening. It was morning, day one. And Genesis tells the story of how God's people started through Abram and Sarai, who left their native land to be a blessing to the rest of the world, how this covenant came through Isaac, their son, and then Jacob, and then Jacob's son, Joseph, and how Joseph saved the world by, by being light in the darkness when there was famine in the land. He interpreted the dreams of the Pharaoh he saved grain during the seven years of plenty so that when the seven years of famine came, that the whole world could be, could, uh, be provided food. Jacob and his sons came to Egypt and settled there, and they stayed there. And that's how Genesis ends. And then Exodus, the second book in the Bible, tells the story immediately all of a sudden, 400 years have passed, and the Pharaoh that was Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt that was king when Joseph was there, has died, and long since died, and now the people of Israel, the people of Jacob, Jacob was renamed Israel, are still living in Egypt, but now they're slaves. Now they uh, are made to make bricks instead of enjoying peace. Now they're enslaved in the most powerful, most resourced place on planet earth which is egypt egypt had the with the nile flowing through it had all kinds of abundance but it wasn't an abundance as we learned last week in episode 12 where we could worship the god who creates and so it was an abundance with an absence of god and into that world moses is born moses was born a Hebrew and laid into the River Nile by his mother to save his life because all boys age two and under were being killed. Uh, that was the Pharaoh's response to try to quell the rapid uh, expansiveness of the Hebrew people. They kept inhabiting and they kept their population kept growing. So Moses was placed in the water. He was drawn out, which is what his name means, drawn out by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the palace. And one day he murdered an Egyptian because the Egyptian was mistreating one of his brothers. He fled to the, to the wilderness where he languished for 40 years, 40 years of emptiness, 40 years of nothingness. And when we read about those 40 years of nothingness, we're drawn back into the creation story. Remember, I, I read the word, the words, the, the earth was a soupy nothingness and inky blackness. That's the Hebrew word tohu, tohu vavohu, and it means 
this space of emptiness, this nothingness that's full of energy, but it's also full of chaos and emptiness. And that's where Moses was in the wilderness for 40 long years. And then one day he sees a bush that is burning. This bush is burning like it would have done in, he would have seen this hundreds of times. It's how these particular bushes reseeded, but this particular bush was burning, but wasn't burning up. We have light shining in the wilderness, in the tohu, tohu vavohu, and it is all of a sudden we're back in day one. And God speaks out of the bush. God said, this is from Exodus 3, verses 7 through 10, God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in, in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I have come down to help them, to pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, to get them out of that country and bring them to a good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite, not to leave those guys out. The Israelite cry for help has come to me, God says, and I've seen for myself how cruelly they're being treated by the Egyptians. So it's time for you, Moses, to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses goes and he commands that the Pharaoh let his people go. Of course, we know the Pharaoh says no. And then the 10 plagues come. First, we see blood in the Nile, then frogs crawl out of the Nile and cover everything. Can you imagine that? Frogs uh, crawling into your food, into your ovens, into your bed. It's so gross. Then gnats everywhere, then flies everywhere. Uh, Then all the Egyptian livestock die. Then it gets personal. People are covered in painful boils. That's plague number six. Plague number seven is hail destroys all the crops. So things are getting really desperate. Uh, plague number eight is that locusts swarm and eat the rest of the vegetation not destroyed by hail. So now we're looking at famine and people are freaking out. And then the ninth plague is darkness. And this is going to help us understand light and dark and how day one keeps happening. So in Exodus 10, we read this. God said to Moses, stretch out your hand to the skies. Let darkness descend on the land of Egypt. A darkness so dark you can touch it. So Moses stretched out his hand to the skies. Thick darkness descended on the land of Egypt for three days. Nobody could see anybody. For three days, no one could so much as move except for the Israelites. They had light where they were living. Now you can imagine this kind of darkness where you can't move. It's oppressive. It's terrifying. And it covers the whole of Egypt. It's totally dark. But in the middle of this darkness where you can't see each other, we read in verse 23 that there was light where the people of Israel were living. What does that mean? Now, if it's the kind of light that comes from candles or a fire, the people of Egypt would have noticed it and stolen it. So it's a different kind of light. And the writer of Exodus is giving a delicious hint by using the words light and darkness when describing the ninth plague. Uh, The word used for dark is chosek, and the word used for light is or. And these are exactly the same words used in Genesis 1-4. So the writer is saying, we're back 
here on day one. We're back here to a new beginning. And four chapters later, Moses will lead the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea and toward the promised land. The ninth plague where there's darkness in the land except for the people of Israel, where they experience the light of day one, is delicious. The ninth plague anticipates a new day one for Israel. Because many times beginnings really do lurk in the shadows. So, my friends, in this time of severe darkness, when there is terrorism, and a refugee crisis, when there is pain, where darkness seems to be winning, can you look up and see a new light? Can you look up and see the fact that there just might be hope dawning? I want to read an excerpt from my book, and this is from day one or chapter one. And this is my hope for you that you would see a new beginning even in the middle of a very dark ending. So this comes from page 15, and I quote, Have you ever found yourself in need of a new beginning, but you didn't know where to start or how to get past whatever darkness stands in the way? Let there be light, God smiles to the single mother, buried under piles of laundry and also piles of hopelessness. Let there be light, God announces to the doctor who has cheated on her husband and also on herself. Let there be light, God thunders to the pastor lost in depression who cannot imagine climbing those steps and giving one more sermon. Let there be light, God calls out to the bored restaurant server mired in a dead-end job with more bills than bank. Let there be light, God beckons to the suburban alcoholic mother as she wakes up under the cover of regret and shame, which threatens to unmake her. Let there be a new day one in your life, a new beginning. On day one, God brings light and makes a way for you to be separated from the darkness in which you are lost and alone. On day one, God whispers, there you are, it's time to go. If you're going to learn to embrace all the beginnings in your actual life, one of the biggest lies you have to unlearn is the one that insists the hovering God will only descend after you've gotten your chaotic life back on track. God helps those who help themselves, you are told, and so you're convinced you need some forward progress before God grudgingly intervenes. This kind of thinking only keeps desperate people lonely and hardworking people tired. This kind of thinking keeps us in the dark. Day one is about being rescued. Day one is about creation bursting forth right in the middle of the inky blackness. God speaks and God's spirit moves and a new beginning is conceived. It's on day one that we recognize our inability to escape the darkness. It's on day one that we are rescued out of our own powerlessness. This unexpected light comes just as we realize our impotence and it's dazzling when we finally see it. End quote. So here's the thing, my friends. It's happening. Light goes into the darkness and creates a new beginning. And the question is, how will you be a part of that new beginning? 
How will you choose your words and choose your actions and choose hope even as you wrestle through the dark and dangerous questions of what actually is? I'm not talking about pretending things are better than they are. I'm not talking about having a false, shiny, happy kind of spirituality which just says, well, you know, God is in control, so we're all good. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about having the courage to reach back into the, um, the deep recesses of the ancient past and realize that, realize that the God who has always invaded the darkness with light, the God who heard the cries of God's people in Egypt and moved to act, the God who came as a little baby 2,000 years ago in order to show us how to live and in order to redeem us and announce and inaugurate a new kingdom of light, that is still happening. That is reality that we can sink our teeth deeply down into. It's human and it's holy. It's limited and it's limitless. It's dust and it's breath. And when we rally around that deep spiritual center, we can experience a hope and a new beginning even in the darkest corners of our darkest hopelessness. Can I get an amen? Now, I would love to hear your stories of doing that. Little tiny stories of hope. Little tiny stories of you being a light in the world. Feel free to take a picture of it. Tag me on Instagram at Steve Weens. You can email me if you want to, steve at steveweens.com. I would love to read your stories so that my hope can grow and to share your stories so that we will not be enveloped in darkness during this dark time. I believe in new beginnings. I believe in creation, that it keeps on happening. And I believe that we are a part of it. You and I are not the same today as we were yesterday. We will not be the same tomorrow as we are today. Creation and you and I are verbs. We are endlessly becoming and so is our world. And we have reason to hope. So friends, raise some hope. We are dust and breath. We are human and holy. We are limited and limitless, and we are in it together. I want to close by saying what's blowing my mind. I was reintroduced to a book I read several years ago, uh, and it's by an author named Ian Morgan Crone. It's called Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me, a memoir of sorts. Do you like delicious writing, a redemptive story, and a true um, and honest story? story of one person's struggle of finding God in the darkness, please read this book. I'll put the link on my show notes. It's called Jesus, My Father, The CIA and Me, A Memoir of Sorts by Ian Morgan Crone. Uh, if you like good writing, you're going to love this book. So check it out. Okay, next week, this good word will be day two of beginnings. The word will be expanse. I cannot wait to talk about that. So grace and peace, everybody. Love you all. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for believing. 
Thanks for hoping. Thanks for being a light in this world. In it together.